we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter number 15, the book of Luke chapter number 15. We're going to be looking at three parables together uh, this morning. We may go back and look at them individually at another time, uh, but for this morning, we're going to be looking at them together. It's the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost, or as we refer to it, the prodigal son. In Matthew chapter number 13, uh, we looked at a group of parables that were focused on the kingdom, which as we looked at those, we defined the kingdom as the scope of Christianity, that it could be applied to the local church, and many times it can be applied to Christianity as a whole. The parables in Matthew 13 explain some of the workings of the kingdom of heaven, such as spreading the gospel, such as how people receive the gospel, and it also dealt with the coming judgment that will separate those who have believed on the, on the Lord from those who have never put their trust in in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for the next couple of Sundays, uh, I want us to turn our attention uh, from Matthew 13 to these parables, uh, these three parables that we find here in Luke chapter number 15. These parables are also recorded in some of the other Gospels, but we're going to be looking at the account given to us here uh, by Dr. Luke in chapter number 15. Whenever we think about the parables we looked at in Matthew 13, uh, we see that those parables emphasize the necessity of salvation. But now when we come to these parables in Luke 15, we see that our Lord is explaining some of the components of salvation. So Matthew 13 explained to us that salvation was necessary. The seed is sown. You must receive the seed. You must believe on the Lord or there's coming a day when you will be cast into eternal punishment. Now we come to Luke 15 and in these three parables we are given some evidence explanation concerning how salvation works, some of the components of salvation. Now, as I said a moment ago, I may come back and revisit one or all of these parables individually, but this morning I believe we'll benefit by looking at all three parables together. I think in giving these three parables, Jesus was able to complete to create a complete picture that explains what is being taught here. Each parable contributes to a central theme, which is the salvation of the sinner. So we're going to read Luke chapter number 15. Uh, it's a, a little bit, quite a few verses. I think it would be beneficial to us though uh, to just read the entire chapter. So stay with me as we read through each of these parables and you'll get the full picture of how they are tied together. Luke 15 verse number 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man, uh, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, receiveth sinners uh, and eateth with them. And he, the Lord Jesus, spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need 
No repentance. That would conclude the first parable. In verse number 8, we begin the second parable. Either, what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. That would conclude the second parable. And then in verse number 11, down through the remainder of the chapter, we see the third parable, which is that of the lost son or the prodigal son. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. We'll stop our reading there. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, dear Lord, that you are worthy to be praised. And we thank you, dear Father, that you are a Father who not only is high and lifted up, but you are also a God who comes down, who is near and who is close and who can comfort, who can help and sustain. We thank you, dear Father, that not only are you the ruler over us, but Father, you are also the Savior who has came to give us salvation. And Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Father, for the salvation you have given us. I thank you, dear Lord, for the promise of eternity. Now, Father, as we look into your word this morning and we look at these three parables concerning salvation, Father, I pray that you will help us to be clear as we share your word. I pray, dear Father, Lord, that if there's those here, Lord, who have never accepted you as Savior, or Father, Lord, maybe there unsure of their spiritual condition. Lord, they're unsure of where they will spend eternity. Father, I pray that you will use this passage of Scripture and this message this morning, Lord, to reveal to them, uh, Lord, their need to accept you as Savior. And Father, Lord, that they will turn their life over completely, wholeheartedly to you, Father, I pray. I do pray, dear Lord, for those in our church family, oh Lord, who are in the midst of grief and in the midst of sorrow. Father, I pray that you will comfort them and be close to them and strengthen them and help them. Father, I pray. Bless now as we look into your word and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And amen. Here in this passage of Scripture, as we've mentioned and as you just saw, we see three parables. We see the parable of the lost sheep, we see the parable of the lost coin, and we see the parable of the lost son. This morning, as we look at these three parables, I want to give an overview of the message of these three parables by pointing out three truths concerning salvation that I believe are clearly evident in these illustrations given by our Lord. The first thing we notice as we look at these parables is the Savior's desire. The Bible says that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we see the Savior's desire illustrated in each of these parables. In verse number 4, speaking of the lost sheep, it says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Here in verse number four, he is illustrating the desire of the Savior that all would come to repentance. He is illustrating the desire of the Savior to find those who have not accepted him and to be able to offer them salvation. Salvation. We see the desire of the Savior in verse number 8. It says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she find it. Again, we see an illustration of the Savior's desire. We see that He makes the illustration. He compares it to a lady who has lost a coin. And we see that this lady had ten coins and she lost one. You say, well, I don't understand why you would be so diligent to find a coin. Well, maybe to put it in a way you would understand better would to say you had ten $100 bills and you lost one. You would seek diligently until you found it. This wasn't a quarter that the lady lost or a nickel or a dime. This was of great value and she stopped everything that she was doing and searched until she could find the coin. Jesus is using something that we can relate to uh, as individuals to illustrate uh, a desire that we would understand uh, and telling us this is the kind of desire I have uh, for the lost. The same type of desire you would feel uh, if your sheep was lost. Uh, the same type of desire you would feel uh, if your coin was lost. Uh, this is the type of desire I feel uh, for those uh, that are lost uh, without God. Uh, the Bible tells us that whenever Jesus uh, uh, was coming to Jerusalem... Uh, as he was getting to the end of his earthly ministry, he looked down upon Jerusalem and he saw the people and the Bible says that he wept over Jerusalem. Why did he weep? Because he knew that he was looking at thousands of people who were going to reject him as a Savior and it broke his heart because he wants all to come to repentance. So we see in verse number 4 in the illustration of the sheep the Savior's desire. We see in verse number 8 uh, in the illustration of the coin, the Savior's desire. But then if we look at verse number 20, speaking of the prodigal son, it says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and 
kissed him. We see here again the desire of the father. The first two examples show us that of a sheep. The second shows us that of a coin. The third shows us that of a father responding to a son coming home. But in every example, we see the desire of the Savior. We see that it is the Savior's desire. It is his heartbeat. It is his hope. It is the reason he came to earth. It is the reason he died. It's the reason he established the church. He did it all. We sing the song, he did it all for me. He did it that lost sinners might come to repentance. And in these three stories, he is illustrating that in regards to those that are lost, the Savior desires above everything to find those that are lost. It is the Savior's desire that sinners come to repentance. The second thing we notice in these parables, first we see the Savior's desire. The second thing we notice, we will probably spend the most time of our message here in this part, is we see the sinner's responsibility. First we see the Savior's desire. Second, we see the sinner's Responsibility. The first two parables focus primarily on the action of the Savior toward the sinner. The parable of the sheep and the parable of the coin are focusing on the action of the Savior toward the sinner. In both of those parables, he used inhumane or non-human examples. In other words, he used a sheep and he used a coin. But then in order to include the necessity of man's response in the overall picture, he included and illustrated the sinner's responsibility by the third example of the illustration illustration of a wayward son coming home. Now let me give you just a little something here that will help you understand the Word of God. The Bible tells us itself that the way you understand Scripture is by comparing Scripture with Scripture. This is how we find the understanding of the Word of God. This is why it is dangerous uh, to take one passage of Scripture and pull it out of the Word of God and define it by itself uh, without looking at the influence of the other Scriptures around it or throughout the Word of God. There have been some who have looked uh, at these three parables uh, and they have confused the doctrine of salvation uh, by trying to emphasize one parable over the other. But when we look at all three of them together, we see that they complete a, or they give us a complete picture and they answer all of the questions. We see that the first two illustrations, uh, Jesus was wanting us to understand uh, his desire toward the sinner. He used non-human objects. Uh, a coin cannot respond uh, to the lady that lost it. Uh, a sheep uh, is unable uh, to find its way back home. The sheep is unable uh, to get itself up out of the brambles. Uh, uh, so we see that these are non-human. They're unable to respond. The first two parables illustrated the Savior's desire towards that which was lost. But the third parable clarifies that there is a sinner's responsibility. It clarifies. Some have used the first two parables to indicate that there is nothing the sinner is to do, that God will either choose them or he will not. But the third parable clarifies that there is a sinner's responsibility. And so we want to look at this and what Jesus says about that. 
We see that in the, by using these three stories together, Jesus is able to separately emphasize his desire to save the sinner and the responsibility of the sinner to respond to his love. In verse 12 and 13, as we look at the prodigal son, we begin to see what takes place in the life of a sinner. In verse 12 and 13, we see his departure. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, whenever we read that passage of Scripture, and I would assume that many are familiar with this story, and we read that passage of Scripture, we begin to have negative thoughts toward the prodigal son. How could he do this? How could he take his dad's living? How could he go waste something that his dad had worked so hard for? And we begin to have negative thoughts and if we're not careful, we will miss what it is Jesus is trying to point out to us. Uh, Jesus is giving us an illustration of what happens in the life of every individual. This is what happens. This is what every individual do. Isaiah 56 and verse number... Uh, or Isaiah 53 verse number 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Every one of us have did exactly what the prodigal did. Every one of us has taken what God has given us. He has given us life. He has given us breath. He has given us health. He has given us intelligence. He has given us the ability to live life here on this earth. And we take what God has given us and we go our own way to do what we deem is best, to what we deem is most satisfactory, to pursue that which we think will fulfill and we waste many times the very things that God has given us. Just as the prodigal son wasted what his father had given him. We see the prodigal's departure but then in verse 14 and down through verse number 16 we see his decline. We see his decline. First he left to do as he pleased with what the Father had given him. But then we see his decline in verse number 14, and when he had spent all. Boy, I've met some folks who were at that point. When they went their own way, they had their health, they had their strength, they had their vitality, they had their intelligence. And they pursued everything the world had to offer. They found themselves at a point in a place where they had spent all. Their health was gone. Their strength was gone. Their enjoyment out of life was gone. Everything was gone. We call, look at those people and we say they're spent. They spent all. When he had spent all, the Bible says, there arose a mighty famine in that land. Isn't that interesting how these things work out? You say, boy, I'm telling you what, I, just, I don't know about this God y'all talk about because it seems like when I hit bottom, things just get worse. You know what that is? The mercy of God. You say, how is it possible that that is the mercy of God? Well, the only hope you have for eternity is putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only hope you have of avoiding eternal fire and damnation is putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you have spent all and your life is wasted and you cannot find any joy, you cannot find any happiness, you begin to see that the things that you thought meant so much now mean nothing 
nothing and then in the midst of that trouble hits, God is using tribulation to turn you back to Him so that He in His mercy can offer salvation so that you can have an eternal life. That is His mercy. This prodigal son had spent all He had no way to sustain himself. He had no way to provide for himself. And at that moment, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. You know what? Whenever you reach a point that you can no longer take care of what you need, there is a natural instinct on the inside of even the most hardened individual who when they find themselves at a place that they can no longer take care of themselves, they will instinctively turn to the only one who is able to meet that need. He began to be in want. We see here in verse 15 that he tried one more time to take care of himself. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into a field to feed swine. Sometimes we see people come to this point in their life and instead of turning to God, they will make one last ditch effort to lean on the world. And it's sorrowful. But there are those who will just give themselves over to addictions, to alcohol, to drugs, to gross wickedness in a last-ditch effort to satisfy the desire of the flesh in the world. But the world will not satisfy He found himself in want. He could not provide. But at this moment, he was still too stubborn. And he gave one last ditch effort. And the Bible says that he found himself at such a low point that he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. This is where sin will take you when you go your own way. It will take you all the way to the bottom. But thank the Lord that he made a decision. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 tells us that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way. It does seem right. But the end thereof is the ways of death. Thankfully, this young man turned from that direction In verse 17, down through the beginning of verse number 20, we see his decision. And when he came to himself, he was no longer blinded by the glamour of the world. He was no longer blinded by the possibility of the money that he had. He was no longer blinded by the promises of his false friends. All that was gone. All that was taken away. And now at this low point in his life, he could finally see clearly He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my 
Father. Let me tell you this. Boy, I'm telling you what, it doesn't matter how many times I've read this story. I've heard this story my whole life, and it just never, ever gets old. It doesn't matter how many times I've read it. You're always better off with the Father. You're always better off. He created you. He made you. He has a purpose for you. He has a destination for you. He has bountiful blessings that He wants to pour out on you, and you are always better to go back to the Father. This world will try to lie to you. This world will try to tell you that the Christian life is a life of bondage. They'll tell you the Christian life is a life of rules. They'll tell you that the Christian life is boring. But let me tell you, the world has nothing to offer that can compare with what the Father in heaven has in store for you. You are always better off with the Father. This young man grew up in the Father's house and he took for granted all that the Father had provided for him just as we oftentimes take our life for granted. We take our health for granted. We take the breath that we leave for granted. We take all these things and think that they're just something that we'll always have. But then we go to the world and we see the world beginning to rob us of these things and we recognize that it's always better with the Father. This young man said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Let me tell you here this morning, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. The creator of the world owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he, his desire, as we've seen illustrated by the first two parables, his desire is to allow you to be partaker of what he possesses. Why? Why would you perish with hunger when the creator of the world says, I've got more than enough and to spare. All you got to do is come and partake. This young man said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. I love that phrase right there. If you mark in your Bible, underline that first phrase of verse number 20, and he arose and came to his father. You know what? You can think all you want to think, but until you act upon what you're thinking, it's not going to make any difference. There comes a time when you have to act. There may be someone here this morning, I don't know, there may be someone here this morning that the Lord has been dealing with your heart. And in the quietness of your, of your room or in the quietness of night or when you're alone and by yourself, you have been thinking that you need to make things right with God. You have been thinking that you need to get this settled. You have been thinking that you have let this go too long. And you have been thinking about it and praise the Lord that God is dealing with your heart. And praise the Lord that you have been thinking about it. But until you act on your thoughts, there will be no results. I love this. This first phrase of verse number 20, uh, he thought about it. Uh, he recognized his need and the Bible says he arose and came to his father. Uh, he acted on the conviction. In these th verses, I see three things that led to his decision. I see first of all that he realized his position. In verse number 17, when he came to himself, he realized his position. And whenever you realize that you are in need of the saving grace of the Lord 
Lord Jesus Christ, it will bring you to a place of putting your trust in Him. Second of all, not only did he realize his position, but he recognized his Father's provision. It said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and despair? He realized where he was. He realized what the Father could do. When you get those two things under control, you are well on your way to finding a salvation that will change your life like you've never experienced before. But there was a third step that I see here in these verses, and that's in verse 18 and verse number 19. Not only did he realize his position, not only did he recognize the Father's provision, but I see in verse 18 and 19 that he repented of his pride. This will bring salvation. He realized he was in need of a Savior. He realized there was one who could provide salvation. And he said, I'm sick of living in the hog pen. I'm sick of living this way. I'm sick of feeding on the corn husk. I'm sick of pursuing the, the false dreams of the world. He said, I am going to repent of my pride. I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell Dad I was wrong. I shouldn't have took the money. I shouldn't have left. I shouldn't have lived the life that I lived. I'm going home. I'm letting him know that I messed up. He repented of his pride. You know the number one thing that keeps people from coming to this altar and getting their heart right with God? The number one thing that keeps people from benefiting from the promise of salvation is they do not want to admit that they messed up. They do not want to admit that they made a wrong decision. They do not want to admit that they have never accepted the Lord Jesus. They come to church. They sit here in the church house. Well, everybody here thinks I'm a good person. Everybody here probably thinks that I am a Christian. Everybody here probably thinks I'm okay. If I go forward to that altar and tell them I want to be safe, what are they going to think about me? You know what? That's the ugly head of pride standing in your way, keeping you from spending an eternity in a glorious heaven. And I'm telling you what, if you don't give up that pride, pride, there's coming a day when everybody will know you're going to be cast into a lake of fire. This young man realized his position. He recognized the Father's provision and he repented of his pride. I will arise and I will say, I have sinned. He repented of his pride. Then in verse number 21, we hear his declaration. We hear his declaration. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 and verse number 9 that if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He said, Father, I have sinned. You know what? The devil makes us think that that is going to be the most difficult phrase you will ever say. But when you do it, you will find it's the most liberating thing you have ever said. You will be set free like you have never experienced before when you tell the Father, I have sinned. Why is it so liberating? 
Because the Bible says that when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran. And the, the father said, son, he came right here and he said, father, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. And the father said, go kill the fatted calf. Why is this so liberating? Because whenever you admit to the father that I have sinned, you are admitting your repentance. You are giving yourself to the one who has been standing, waiting, longing, to desiring to pour out on you uh, abundant uh, beneficial blessings uh, more than you can ever imagine and whenever you admit your sin and you put your trust in him you open the floodgate for God to be able to do with you what he designed for you and you will enter into a life like you have never experienced before we see his declaration as we consider these parables first we see the Savior's desire Second, we see the sinner's responsibility. But then thirdly, very quickly, we see the heavenly celebration. We see the heavenly celebration. In verse number five, it says, And when he hath found it, speaking of the lost sheep, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. There is a heavenly celebration when a sinner comes home. There is a rejoicing in heaven like you have never experienced. I'm a child of God and many of you have accepted Christ as your Savior and we rejoice in what Christ has done for us. But if a sinner was to get saved this morning, there would be more rejoicing in heaven over that sinner coming to repentance than there is over the fact that all of us are gathered here together this morning. Heaven celebrates when a sinner comes home. Why does heaven celebrate? Because that's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he resurrected. That's why he lives today is to bring sinners to repentance so that sinners can find hope and peace and satisfaction in salvation. It's why he came and whenever a sinner repents of their sin, Christ's crucifixion is validated one more time. It was worth it because a sinner has come home. You see, God doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. Brother C mentioned it this morning. I've mentioned it before. God doesn't send anyone to hell. God has made a way of salvation. And there is absolutely no reason for anyone to go to hell. God has did everything he can to make a way for you to accept him as Lord and Savior. He's done everything he can. And now his heartbeat is that you'll accept it. Justice demands that if you've sinned, there must be punishment. And if you refuse what Christ has done, then justice will do what justice does. But he's done everything he can. He's, he's made everything possible as much as he can. And he is just waiting, longing that the sinner will accept what he has made available. And when they do, there's a heavenly celebration. Look at the lady in the second parable. And when she hath found it, she calleth all her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, 
for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Consider the Father in that third parable. He said, no longer worthy to be called thy son. But the Father said to his servants, he didn't wait around, he didn't beat around the bush, he didn't make him go through any kind of... Uh, Time to prove that he was sincere. Oh no, immediately what did the father do? He said, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. You know what, when you accept Christ, you're not just partially his child. If you accept Christ as your Savior today, you're ever bit as much his child as I am who've been saved for many years. You are 100% absolutely, completely in the fold and he will treat you as best as any of his other children. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. There is a heavenly celebration when a sinner comes home. This morning, as we look at these three parables together, I believe we can conclude one thing. And that is this. The Savior desires to save lost sinners. All he is waiting for is for you to recognize your position, his provision, to repent of your pride and accept the gift that he's offering to you. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. You say, how could the Lord forgive someone that's done as many things as I have done? He's long-suffering. The reason he's not judged you yet is because he's waiting for you to repent. Long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, he says, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Revelation 3, verse number 20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. We look at these parables and the message is clear. The Lord desires to save you. All you must do is invite him in. Open your heart's door. Allow Jesus Christ to move in. Let him make a new creature out of you. Let him reveal to you what he had in store when he designed and created you in the womb. Accept him today. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Miss Debbie's going to come to the piano. You say, Pastor John, why do you preaching so much on salvation here lately. Well, I follow the Lord's leading as much as I can. But I also believe that we live in a day of great deception. And I love every one of you. But I really believe our churches are full of people that's never put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe our churches are full of people who have, who have heard that they've been coming long enough, they've, they've learned how they're supposed to act and what they're supposed to do, but there's never been a time when they repented of their sin and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for some reason, for the last several Sundays, the Lord has been 
bringing messages of salvation. I don't know if it's one, I don't know if it's many, but there's somebody that the Lord's after. I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. And he's working on your heart. I'm nobody special, but this word is special. And let me just say, if God is dealing with your heart, don't turn him away. If God's been prying on your heart, if you've been feeling the Holy Spirit tug on your heart, if you've been questioning in your mind whether or not your eternity is secure, God's been talking to you. Don't turn him away. You can go one of two ways. You can either accept him or you can make a last-ditch run for the world. And the world will eat you up and spit you out. The Savior is giving an invitation with his arms wide open. As Miss Debbie plays, if it's you, come to this altar. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Come to this altar and get your heart right with the Lord.